It couldn't happen again, could it? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we look back round 8 of this season, the Vaca Grand Prix in Azerbaijan. Hello, I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts. And I would like to start this episode by telling you all about a robbery, a theft. I witnessed around midday on Sunday, British summertime. No single driver or team were the victim, but we were, the fans. Because as with Spain, we were robbed, robbed I say, of an all-out battle, and a battle for the win, should I say, between Red Bull and Ferrari. Why? How? Well, as with Spain, it was Ferrari's reliability issues that were to blame. But this time, a double DNF. Carlos signs with her hydraulic issues, Leclerc power unit failed there, and this resulted in a 1-2, as was seemingly the case once the two Ferraris uh, fell out for Red Bull there. We're seeing, now, aren't we, increasing reliability issues for Ferrari, and for their sort of powertrain empire as well. I'm worried that it's going to deprive us of a proper championship battle between both the Drivers' Championship and also the Constructors' Championship that was bubbling along very nicely. What do you guys think? Should I be worried? Should we all be worried? Or is this yet another blip in the ebb and flow of Formula 1? Hands up again, flashbacks to 2019, when we had that charge out the gates for Ferrari and they then bottle it a little bit um, and Mm. then eventually lose the season. Oh, God, it feels like that again, doesn't it, Tom? And maybe it's your fault, because I believe <laughs> you, you said <laughs> that they were bulletproof. They um, were. <laughs> At the time. At the time. <laughs> words which are coming back to bite you now a little bit. It's not your fault, of course. They did look pretty bulletproof. Um, but <laughs> it's it's a shame, really, that they've had such problems. And it's the power unit, really, isn't it? Let's face it. Because it wasn't just the Ferrari DNF. We also had... Um, the the DNF as well for Alfa Romeo. So there was and Haas. You know we had lots of Ferrari problems going on. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna have some strong words with the power unit team and find out what's going on. Uh, Bonotto doesn't know. They don't really know yet. Um, I will, we weren't really expecting them to know immediately yesterday, but it's now you know been some time and they're not sure yet. But uh, Bonotto has called it a concern. And he's not wrong. I, I just wonder, now they're 80 points behind Red Bull, it feels like they've just lost all of their momentum, right? They have now equaled the DNFs, if you like, with Red Bull. So that's sort of the worst case scenario for, for Ferrari. They were hanging on because they had that reliability. Um, yeah, they had sort of better reliability, but now they don't. So... I don't know. I don't really know what happens to, to Ferrari now. It, we're, we're, now they're approaching Canada as well in this weekend, they won't have time to fix it. So are they just going to have to you know, take the engine penalty when it comes up later on this season? Because they're now this is their last one. I think they're permitted before they get a penalty. You know, is this now, because they've had to go through so many engines, a sign that Ferrari just aren't going to to be able to claw back um, the the gap. And now they're actually really in a fight with Mercedes. What do you think? Uh, I I don't think they're in a fight with Mercedes. I think that's a bit... It's a bit extreme to say that, but you are right in that... Uh, I mean, their car's still quick, but they're just losing points. They're just, like, imploding. I mean, they are literally... To give you an idea of how drastic the change has been in the championship, after three races in Australia... 
Charles Leclerc had 71 points. Max Verstappen had 25. In the five races since, Max Verstappen has gained 125 points to Leclerc's 45. And in the Constructors' Championship, after three races, Ferrari had 104, Red Bull 55. And in the five races since, Ferrari have gained 95 points. Red Bull have gained 224 points. That's how much the change has happened in the championship. And it's purely from the Ferrari car not being bulletproof and the engine suffering problems. And it's seen it as not just a Ferrari team problem. You saw in Baku, in a race admittedly where temperatures are hot and the cars are going to be punished more than most other races. You still had Kevin Magnussen, Haas Ferrari, Guan Yuzhou, Alfa Romeo Ferrari having issues struggling with the engine or as in well, the engine going completely. Uh, even Carlos Sainz as well, lest we forget, he didn't retire as dramatically as Leclerc, but at first it looked like he had, I don't know, overshot uh, turn four and gone down the escape road, but when you went on the onboard you could hear his engine and hydraulics uh, suffering a slow, painful death as he went into the braking zone. And hmm. it's just... I mean, yeah, to be fair, Tristan, when Bonotto says concern, uh, I think he's... He's he's playing a very good poker face there. Is uh, is Benotto? Mm. He's obviously he's got to stay calm in public. If he came out and was like swearing and cussing and saying it was an absolute disaster, he wouldn't be a very good leader. But at the same time, as much as he has to put on a brave face, calling it a concern is quite a uh, quite a way to describe it. And it's the kind of thing where in this era where we have penalties for engine uh, parts being used up, when you have situations where for example, if you have your certain allocation of engines and you use them up before the season, you're going to have to take penalties. We saw it last season, both Hamilton, I think, in Turkey and Verstappen, it would have been in Russia, I think, was that race where he came from last because he had engine penalties and he got on the podium. But my point being, you have to take these penalties at some point if your engine reliability is not up to scratch. And this is what will bite Ferrari. Not only is it biting them now through the loss of points, it will bite them further down the line. And they will have to suffer the consequences of not having an engine which is reliable enough. And again, so strange because at the start of the season, Red Bull had these issues. And Max Verstappen after this race saying, well, it doesn't really matter now because it's all evened out. And I don't think it's a completely fair comment because Ferrari have had failures in more strong positions or in higher points gaining positions than Red Bull have had. But at the same time, they both had their fair share of reliability problems now, and look where it's left the championship. It's left Red Bull in a fantastic position. It's left Charles Leclerc on the back foot for sure. So, I mean, I, I didn't see this coming personally, not in Spain, not in Baku either. And it's really, really, well, it's stating the obvious, not helping Ferrari at all here. Yeah, when I saw Leclerc slowing down gradually and the smoke coming out from his car, I was very tempted to switch it off because I thought, well... Such is the gulf between Ferrari, Red Bull, and then everyone else, that there was no one else that was going to catch either Verstappen or Perez. I suppose the only comfort that Ferrari can take after a dismal few races, really, for both their drivers, when you consider not only the positions that they finish, but also their retirements, is that they can turn it around quickly, as we've seen Red Bull do. After three races, there was huge concerns, as we heard so publicly from Verstappen and everyone involved, that this can't carry on. The Red Bull powertrain is looking very, very iffy, and here we are, and they're looking incredibly solid in terms of their race pace, their qualifying pace, and reliability, so tick, 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 tick. But with Ferrari, the concern is that they can't necessarily do a Mercedes 2021 as easily. And what I mean by that is they can't go and say, oh, okay, well, we'll go and take an engine penalty because we're so much faster than everybody else, including, in some cases, our direct competitors, that uh, we can just start from last, let's say, and storm through the pack because their qualifying pace is excellent, as seen by the stellar performances from Leclerc getting pole in nearly every race. But their race pace, as we saw in Baku when Leclerc was beaten into Turn 1 by Perez... They had to go and pit so early with the virtual safety car there, using that opportunity, knowing that actually the two cars ahead of them, the Red Bulls, could match them, if not beat them, and were pulling away from them. So 
it leaves the question, what do Ferrari do? Well, as you say there, Tristan, we're going to Canada next with no break and no real chance for them to go and fix the problems. And unfortunately for them, Canada is not too dissimilar, really, from Azerbaijan, is it? It's a street circuit in nature in terms of it's not a carpet smooth circuit. There's a lot of strain put on the engine as well. You can go and say, yes, it's going to be slightly cooler, far cooler, actually, than Baku, probably. But um, it leaves them with a situation where if there's another retirement, then... You've got to go and say their chances in both championships are looking rather slim because, as we saw in this race, Sergio Perez is now enjoying the party, hasn't he? Very much so, not only in this uh, Grand Prix, but also in uh, Monaco as well. He's up there fighting as well, so the problems are stacking up. You can only go and say, though, hopefully, with Red Bull turning it around so quickly and there being so many races left, as well as the summer break, where there can be a more major overhaul if needed, that Ferrari can bring it back. But they've left themselves a huge mountain to climb, really. And it's not only in the reliability issues, because Signs before he failed, was he was miles off the, the front three, wasn't he? Not only his teammate, but also the Red Bull as well. So, mm, concerning times, but as we've seen before, the tables can turn. We were saying at the start of the season, oh dear... Red Bull look very temperamental. Ferrari powertrain, they're the ones to go for. And then we see the switcheroonies. So we'll see, but not great, not great. No, and, and unfortunately, Charles Leclerc is now picking up some unwanted records. Like, So he now has 15 pole positions in total, but with only four of those actually being victories, he now holds the most pole positions with fewest wins. <laughs> mm. So um, it's, that's, it's such an odd thing to be seeing them fall so you know so dramatically and it's it's even more annoying that that he keeps failing to complete the you know the the races especially for my f1 fantasy team this was a disastrous week i got 55 <laughs> points i can't uh, this was ridiculous ferrari got to pick it up because i've got some terrible luck in the moment 55 points most of those by the way 38 from sergio perez so oh dear i don't think i'm going to be winning the uh f1 fantasy um anytime soon but you know that's reflective really that we all believe that ferrari should be properly challenging red bull and they were and i don't know about you but as soon as as soon as the ferraris left the whole race just died the excitement just really got driven out from the front and yes there was some exciting things going on in the midfield like you know watching sebastian vettel start actually pulling out the punches getting his elbows out and yes he made that mistake on Ocon spinning but it was really good to see him doing his you know thing it was interesting to see McLaren sort of well well we don't have time to talk about McLaren this time and McLaren were doing some interesting things in race strategy you know there was some actually really interesting things going on but we wanted you know the the fight at the front we had the opening taster when Perez got past Leclerc for the for the lead of the race, and then as soon as as soon as Red Bull saw that Ferrari were out, they were basically driving back to the end. The Red Bull got onto the radio to Max, and uh, I said, "Oh, Max, you gonna you gonna go a bit faster?" He's like, "I can go a bit faster and go a bit slower." And they're like, "Oh yeah, do you wanna go a bit? Do you wanna go a bit slower? You can go a bit slower, I think." You know that sort of thing going on. That's not a race. That's just cruising, <laughs> cruising home. That's the kind of conversation you have on the motorway. Like, oh, should we, should we pull in at the, you know, at the next pit stop, have a, you know, a cup of tea? Yeah, I think we should. You know, that sort of thing. That's not fitting of an F1 race. So Ferrari need to be bringing it because we want to see the fight. And Christian Horner even admitted after the race that, you know, he also kind of wants to see Ferrari fighting them as well because it's, it's not very interesting. You know, these these sort of moments remind me a bit of the Hamilton dominance. Do you remember at Silverstone when they when Bono had to get on to Hamilton and say, uh, by the way, you are you are about to just finish the Grand Prix. And he was like, oh, am I? Oh, well, that's nice. You know, it's those sort of radio conversations that we, we thought we had ditched because last week last year was so interesting. And I don't know. I don't know why Ferrari just can't hold it together. There is that famous trope of Ferrari that when their F1 cars are good, their road cars are terrible. When their road cars are good, their F1 cars are terrible. And this year, I thought they'd finally managed to do both. But I tell you what, their road cars are looking really good. So, you know, maybe that's a bad <laughs> omen. But I don't know. If, if it's not this year, when will it be for Ferrari? Because this was supposed to be their year, right? When everyone else was getting up to speed and they came out of the out of the paddock storming you know out of the scuderia storming 
in front and yet again it seems like they just have no ability to hold on to hold on to the lead yeah quite possibly and i suppose flipping that on its head and looking at red bull now they've really risen haven't they qualifying in p2 and p3 respectively perez beating leclerc quite convincingly off the start going into turn one but it wasn't all happy campers once again was it because i remember lap 15 if i'm not mistaken max is coming up uh, to overtake checo after he'd really punished his tires trying to get away from leclerc who ultimately as we say didn't finish the race and there was the message from the uh, red bull pit wall the vague ambiguous message of no fighting now some have said that's red bull team orders at work christian horner says no that's not the case we were just telling both drivers to give each other space when they're fighting uh, with the memories the horrible memories of course for the team back in 2018 when ricardo hit max and they both dnf in the exact same part of the track there and paris himself has said ah actually it's the right call to be fair max was uh, at the time a bit further ahead than me this was of course when leclerc was still in the race so they still had an opposition to think about not only just fighting between garages but what do we make of that do we see here a red bull actually being quite conservative in terms of well we don't want to repeat a 2018 or is it a quite a sly backdoor way of doing similar to as they did in barcelona by saying well we want max to win really perez being strong is excellent but there can only be one king what do we make of it i'd say that it's maybe not as sly as it maybe seemed in barcelona because as you can see by the end of the race, Max was clearly the quicker driver for me. I think in Barcelona, Perez had a chance. And I know that in the end, they kind of ditched his chances based on strategy. But at the end of this race, Max won by 20.8 seconds. So for me, it was not inevitable that he was going to win. But once the Ferraris were out and there was a clear fight or a clear sort of, or there was a possibility of a fight it seemed clear to me that Max was going to win simply because he had a pace advantage. And it maybe came as a surprise to people because Perez is quicker in practice and he also qualified him. But at the same time, I think it was Max's race to lose. And as much as, I mean, people these days, you know, you know my thoughts on social media and Twitter and they loves to kick up a fuss at any, any little pressure point, of which this is a pressure point. But for me, I think it's no biggie. I think that Max had the pace advantage and Red Bull, I think maybe they had a, not a flashback, maybe they were considering the events of 2018 as well and the fact that they wanted to preserve those points. Um, maybe at the moment they're just, I mean, they're just lapping up one twos, aren't they? That's now their third in the last five races. So they also, in terms of the Constructors' Championships, knew they had a chance to put a big, big margin into Ferrari and managed to, well, almost distance Ferrari for a little bit, because Ferrari now, based on the results after this race, now only have 71% of Red Bull's points. That's a big, big gap they've been able to put on. So whilst obviously people can link Max's victory and say, oh, I bet there was team orders again, they don't want Sergio Perez to win... Uh, I'm not buying it personally. I think he, Max was just quicker. At the end of the day, Max Checo's had a resurgence. Don't get me wrong; he's definitely upped his game, and the car is more to his liking. I hear from the from the sources that you read about online is that Perez likes a car which is more sort of has a more stable rear, less oversteery. Whilst Verstappen, this shouldn't surprise us really, but Verstappen is just happy with a car that's just tail happy and doesn't doesn't mind. He's able to control it when it's sliding out a bit more at the rear. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all. But Checo's managed to get on top of his setup more and he's upped his game, but still it's Max Verstappen. I mean, Max Verstappen is a very good driver, if we didn't know already. Max Verstappen now has... Gonna, I feel like we've been throwing some stats out there this episode. I'll go for another one. Max Verstappen uh, now has only eight drivers ahead of him in Formula 1 history with more race wins, just eight so he's the ninth most winging, winningest ever, level with Jim Clark and Nicky Lauda, <laughs> who won five mm-hmm. who won five world championships between them. So, wow, we, we can't forget. We can't forget. He's a quick driver. He could win five world championships, frankly, or more. So he's a very good driver, and I think Perez is doing a fantastic job, and did a fantastic job on the weekend in Baku. But on this occasion, Max was just too fast for him. But then we could get to Canada, and it's back with Checo again. So we'll have to wait and see. 
Well, what was unusual about this race, though, Angus, was Perez did something very unusual for him, and he burnt out his tyres very, very quickly. Because we usually salute Perez, don't we, as being very, very strong and stable on a pair of tyres, which allows him to get that quiet pace. And he really charged from the beginning there from the first, you know, opening lap you know he he got 1.3 seconds by a delta between him and Charles Leclerc by the by the end of the opening lap he was 2 seconds out after lap 2 so not only he went from second to first and absolutely stormed off the downside of course was then he kind of had his pace ruined a bit because when the tyres are cold and you start really going for it, it does more damage than when they've nicely heated up. So to some extent, Max actually had a bit of an advantage there because he was chasing down Charles Leclerc, you know, and and he didn't have to push quite as much as Perez did because Perez had everything to lose. The other thing I think what was weird about Red Bull this, this weekend was they kept being really slow with Perez's pit stops. I know it wasn't enough, to put him, you know, in a in a bad position, but having the sort of those four and a bit second pit stops and holding him off a bit, and it just it felt like they were just taking it a bit more easy with Perez, and that was just luck, you know. I I, I think it's just luck. Sometimes things don't quite work out for one driver, but everything was a bit faster and a bit smoother for Max, and maybe that was really reflective of Max's race in total. Actually, it was all a bit smoother than Perez's. Perez was really all or nothing. But it didn't help Perez by the end. And, you know, I think Perez is absolutely a resurgence. And we went, we were all going into this. You know, it's not just us, our commentators, that are, you know, we're saying this. It's it's other commentators as well all saying, well, Perez has a chance here. You know, even Red Bull is acknowledging that they actually do have two number one drivers. Whether or not you want to believe that they are letting their drivers fight or not will be down to your personal cynicism. But what I would suggest <laughs> is Jos Verstappen, Max's dad, publicly said that the team were favouring Perez. So, <laughs> you know, I do think that they are being open to both drivers fighting it out because they know what we know. You know, they're they're very intelligent people. They know if they hammer and hamstring um, poor Perez and something happens to Max, then they've lost out on on both regards so they they can't really um afford to hamper one driver too much because both of them are going to be you know going for everything and you know there's no reason why they should be allowed to race i think red bull also had that bit of fear from when daniel ricardo and max verstappen crashed at baku because they were fighting both them in the red bull so I, I also have a feeling that they were like, guys, no fighting, because they, um, it would, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Helmut, Helmut Marco and Christian Horner just like gave them a, an iPad before they went on and, and of, of the crash between Max and Ricardo was like, this is what can happen. So, you know, in one and, you know, to some extent, I think that they were being cautious from that, which is fair enough. But I, I still think that Perez has an opportunity here to, you know, to actually properly fight max for the championship it's Mm. just going to be down to luck i think this season and i know many fans out there won't like that because we all like to believe that our favorite driver has some sort of you know god-given skill that puts them far and away above every other driver but that is not actually everything it is also luck you know even lewis hamilton it was luck that he moved to Mercedes from McLaren you know it was luck that Vettel joined Red Bull at the right time to pick up his four world championships and just as you go the other way you know people like Ricardo, Alonso they've had some you know bad luck I mean Alonso had bad luck and he won two world championships so you know Mm. this season I think given the reliability issues I think it's going to be a lot of luck um, and that's going to decide the the world championship. So Perez is definitely on it, but I think Red Bull will be prioritising their constructors' championship. As you said, Angus, banging out those one-two finishes, maximum points, and I think they're going to be untouchable if they can get 
I would say four more. Four one-two finishes. And I would say they're almost untouchable. To coin a phrase from my co-presenter Tom, oh dear. bulletproof. <laughs> all right, easy tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't all negative, was it, for Perez? I mean, he did retain his fastest slap, and that was after Verstappen was going for a hell for leather in the sort of dying embers of that race. It's interesting, really, because we saw a bit of role reversal, didn't we, in terms of Perez and Verstappen, as we've hinted at there. We saw Perez doing a bit of a Verstappen of old, just going hell for leather, being ultra-aggressive and looking a bit short-term rather than long-term with him chewing up his tyres so quickly. But then we saw Verstappen being in sort of P3 for a while, you know, a fair distance to be fair from um, from uh, from Perez and really from challenging him. And he was there, you know, cool and calm and collected, calculated in many ways, thinking, well, there's no point burning through my rubber too quickly. There's no point putting in really stonking lap to the sake of it. I'll just keep him honest. I'll keep close to him, you know, do level, if not better, than Ferraris as well. And that meant he was there in that opportunity in, in lap 15 to go and overtake him with relative ease. I mean, as we say that, I don't think there was any team orders at play. It was just because Verstappen, as Perez himself says, was quicker and was doing was doing better there. In terms of the future of Red Bull, they really are in a purple patch, aren't they, in terms of not only the 1-2s, but Harmony as well. And the question is, can they sustain this or can Perez sustain this? Because we've seen him have great purple patches before. The end of last season springs to mind, where he was banging out um, top threes many, many a time. And um, you thought, oh, well, here we go, he's back type thing. This is the Perez from Racing Point. Back at Racing Point as well, there were sections where he was really on it and other times where... He was slightly below his own standards of really high performance, shall we say. But um, if the purple patch remains for the upcoming races, which one would think would not disadvantage Red Bull, to be fair, Canada, for example, and the Red Bull ring, as its name suggests, are going to be two where I can imagine they're going to do quite well. Um, But a very interesting one in terms of how they manage this, because Perez has just signed a contract and I doubt he'd gone... Okay then, guys. Yes, yeah, same, same as as always. Then I'm number two. I'm number one. He'd have, you know, gone in there saying, "Well, I've performed for you guys. I've done what I need to do and more. I want to go and have access to some of the data and some of the equipment and the say that Verstappen has. I want to be in, heavily involved in the development of the car, the upgrades, all this sort of stuff. Not just driving Verstappen's version of the car, really. So interesting to see how this is all handled when it comes to Red Bull at the moment. It's all fine because, well. To put it plainly, they don't really have any serious competition in the short term. Ferrari can't finish a race, and Mercedes, uh, well, the pace isn't there, is it, for them? They're finishing rather well in terms of P3s and 4s and 5s, but the pace isn't there for them to outright challenge. And we've seen many times, haven't we, when things are going well for one team, it's good at the start in terms of Mercedes, you know, Hamilton, Rosberg. That was fine to start with. They didn't hate each other by any stretch of the imagination. But when there was no opposition aside from the other garage, that's when it turned nasty. So a balancing act there, really. But I, I reject the idea, as I say, that there was team orders there. And um, glad to see it all worked out, really, instead of there being a, a repeat of 2018. So that would have been quite the spectacle when it both Ferrari and Red Bull DNFing there you'd be rubbing your hands together if you were one George Russell when does Red Bull then bring in the team orders do you think because mm. in the driver standings now we do we do have Max and Perez and, and our one two with Max if you didn't know is now on 150 points and Sergio Perez on 129 so I'd say they're close enough right to not have team orders inflicted on them do you think red bull will bring in team orders at all this year if ferrari can't get their act together or do you Mm -hmm. think team orders will just come in if let's say perez drops a certain amount of points behind um his teammate max when do you think red bull would actually start doing that because we know they've done it in the past i think team orders would be more likely if you had two drivers fighting from different teams like you saw it last year with Bottas to a certain extent although he wasn't as complicit because of his uh, his contract going down uh, think of that instant in Zandvoort where he was told to not go fast guess the faster slap point and then he proceeded to get the faster slap point for a bit um, but also with Perez we th- I've referenced it before his role in Abu Dhabi in helping Max to win the world championship there that was a 
example, whilst it wasn't a directed let him through, it was a example of team orders. The team saying, right, hold up Hamilton and then let Mac and then uh, make it easy for Mac, easier for Max, shall we say? So, if there's a situation where you have Max versus Sergio for the title, then I think you're less likely to get team orders because then, if you've got statistically, if it's imp- if you have the top two drivers in if you have your drivers in the top two positions in the drivers championship it's impossible to not be first in the constructors championship and at this position in time at the moment you have to say that would greatly favor red bull so if there was both of them in a scenario where they are just those two fighting for the championship i think you'd actually see less team orders i think then red bull would accept that they would be fighting each other and they would just let it be. But I think realistically they are letting it be to an extent. They're not tinkering with it too much so far. So long may that continue, hopefully, and that we get a fair fight. Yeah, I'll be very disappointed if there were team orders before the summer break because we've got, what's that, five, six races before the summer break there and before we return to Spa. And the, the gap there between the drivers, what, 21 points... That's less than a race win, isn't it? If one gets that and the other one DNS for whatever reason. So, going back to the point of Perez signing a contract, I think it would be highly disrespectful for them to go, right, we've nailed you down, you're doing a great job in terms of being second, but you're still going to be second in our eyes because Max Verstappen is going to get that world championship. That would be a really sort of sour taste in the mouth, I think. So, I think any time after that you understand, but... The way the rate is going, I'd say let them fight within reason. They're both very respectful of each other. They both you know, race hard and race aggressive. But I doubt you'll see the same Max Verstappen if he's racing Perez to the same Max Verstappen we saw racing Lewis Hamilton last year. Because for want of a better sort of phrase or analysis, Verstappen just seems to hate Mercedes, doesn't he? And really dislike Hamilton on track. I think it, it boils down to Verstappen being rejected, I believe, by Mercedes at, at, at his younger years. So that may be where that comes from. But he's got no reason for it to be so sort of vile or for there to be such a vitriol between himself and Perez because Perez has done such a good job, not only as a second driver, as a wingman, but has also you know done very well in his own right and is very respected amongst the paddock. He's not a, a character that's easy to dislike. I can't think of there being too many spats between Perez and another driver aside from, of course, the Ocon days back when it was racing points of Force India, but he's not a, a spiky or divisive character and I don't see bad blood boiling up and I'd like to see both of them race because they're both quality drivers they both deserve the crack of the whip to go and you know go for the world championship because they've got to that position if it was a case where let's say Perez was on 100 points or just over 100 points then you go well fair enough I understand if team orders come around because Ferrari will improve they will finish races and finish them well but the gap is so small I'd say let them go for it and just see how it goes. Be laissez-faire about it and just see how things progress. I don't know. Maybe to play at devil's advocate, I, do, I don't think so. I think they could go full Mercedes. And it was pretty obvious to see Mercedes pulling out the you know, the team orders pretty darn quick once Hamilton had, I'd say, got a 50, 60-point lead over your teammate. I reckon that's about the right time. Once you get mm. to about 50 points, yes, if there are external pressures... This is um, Verstappen versus Leclerc, and there's only a few points in it. Then those definitely will come out quicker. Those team orders, but as it stands, I think with Perez now, let's say you know, twenty odd points behind, I reckon he's got a buffer zone of about thirty more points, so he can yeah. come second behind Max four or five more times. Um, which would make sense, really, because that would carry us nicely into the second half of the season. But I'd say, I'd say um, that's the point um, when the team orders come through. I mean, it's interesting that you say that Perez is less of a spiky character. You're absolutely correct. Um, you know, we can't forget the the problems that you have in a team when you let people fight. I mean, Rosberg and, and Hamilton, just such a quintessential example of how things can sour so quickly with Nico Rosberg failing to let anyone forget that he won the 2016 World Championship, <laughs> completely sinking his friendship with Lewis Hamilton in the process. 
Of course, um, I don't know if you call the news of Nico Rosberg, rather, if you're wondering where he's been in the last couple of races, uh, he's actually been banned from the F1 paddock because he hasn't had his vaccine. So as per the rules, he's now commentating from the sidelines of the sidelines, probably hollering over the uh, trackside. Did you know I won a world championship? And everyone goes, yes, we know. Um, on equal on equal machinery, don't you know? Anyway, but, you know, his, his relationship with... I'd say Lewis and Mercedes never recovered after that. And to some extent, that's why it's so nice that Bottas was such a breath of fresh air. Um, But, you know, even when team orders come out, it doesn't necessarily have to ruin the relationship. I mean, Hamilton and Bottas still have an excellent relationship. Just the other day, I saw uh, Bottas giving his last picture, um... Of him, if you don't know, there's a there's a picture of Bottas in uh, completely nude in a uh, lying fa- front down in a in a river, and uh, he he printed them out and sold them for charity, and he raised fifty thousand dollars in the process, and he gave the last picture to Lewis Hamilton to put in his Monegasque flat, um, and <laughs> they are at, I mean I, I know and they're friends <laughs> still um, is what I was going to say. But no, they are friends. If you don't know that story, it's excellent. You should go take a look at it. It's it's hard to describe it without sounding really weird, but um, it's all over his Instagram. <laughs> I know. It sounds a bit bizarre. Yeah, the nude Bottas taking pictures and selling it off for charity. But yes, that's exactly what happened. But So you can't have a relationship in a team where one driver accepts that they are, you know, the the second driver. And it doesn't ruin everything. But I think, as I say, I think I think Sergio Perez has got a little bit more time yet. But I think he's, you know, they both know, Max and Perez know that I reckon that sort of 40, 50 point mark is the point when the team goes, right, we're now focusing on the world champion. And mm. which is a bit sad, but it's harsh reality. And let's face it, Red Bull have no problem, you know, um, taking difficult decisions and being a little bit harsh. And talking about World Championship winners of the past, Mercedes, it was another happy landing for them this weekend. A third podium for Russell, a fourth place for Lewis Hamilton after starting P7. But then, once again, we hear from Toto Wolff. He's very quick to tell the world that Mercedes are lacking everywhere. The gap between them versus Red Bull and Ferrari is very big. And on a technical level, you can completely understand where he's coming from. Because, as we say, Mercedes do finish every race, but they're nowhere near winning the race because, well, basically, they're not quick enough. Um, So, but looking at the Constructors, or should I say Drivers' Championship, we've currently got a situation now where the more reliable car, the slow and steady car versus the other one in the uh, Ferrari garage in terms of being very quick but not finishing you have George Russell after that P3 finish being 17 points off Leclerc Hamilton being 21 points off Sainz and while you look over into the Constructors Championship you've got Mercedes being 38 points off Ferrari I can't quite believe I'm saying this with a short and longer term history of F1 in mind but can Mercedes beat Ferrari? Will they do it? Or is this just another will Alpha Tauri beat Ferrari hypothetical that we posed all the way back in 2020 for those who've been listening to us for that long? Uh, no, they won't beat them, in my opinion. I think they're too far behind pace-wise. I think they're still struggling to keep up with the cars in front. The only way that the Mercedes has been on the podium this season has been benefiting from misfortune from the teams in front of them so Russell in Australia benefited from Max and Carlos retiring Hamilton in Bahrain benefiting from the Red Bulls retiring Russell in Azerbaijan the Ferraris conking out and in Spain Leclerc's retirement led to a place on the podium for George Russell again so for me they're still they haven't fixed their car it is still really weird to see Mercedes struggling this much, and yet struggling this much is still easy top six. Um, it's not like they are struggling to get points and they're hustling and bustling with Haas and Aston Martin. They are still the third fast. They are still third in the constructors' championship by a long way. So they're not exactly on the F1 poverty line, but at the same time, they yeah. Compared to the high expectations we have of them, they really are struggling, and. A shout out to Lewis Hamilton, I'd say, for continuing to persist and race in in the uh, 
the race that just occurred in Baku, despite the what seems like horrendous pain he was in from the porpoising, which I know we're going to get onto, um, it's it's got to a point where it is becoming quite concerning. It doesn't seem to be just Mercedes having any issues, but if we stay on the Mercedes topic, you had Hamilton saying that he felt in less control of his car down the straights. Uh, you had George Russell saying he was struggling to see braking points because of the porpoising. Now, I know that Baku is historically a bumpy circuit. Don't get me wrong. It is a very, uh, it can be very treacherous. It can be, you know, well, we've seen it. This is history in terms of how it affects the drivers and how it plays as a racing circuit. It's a great challenge. But at the same time, it really did seem to affect some drivers really badly this weekend. And... Mercedes being one of them. It's an interesting point that some of the drivers were making about how they felt that or that the only, one of the few ways to combat porpoising was to com um not combat was to compromise on setup. And you're in a situation where you're a racing driver who wants as much performance as possible, but you have to be prepared possibly to lose half a second or six tenths if you want to protect your spinal cord. So it's a tricky situation for them to be in, and if we get, again, if we go back to Mercedes, it's not just them now who are suffering from this issue, and it makes you think: without these porpoising issues, where would they be in the championship? Would they be a lot higher? Would they be able to compete? You could say it both ways. You could say if they were on top of this car, it looks like it could possibly have the potential to be a fast car. We kind of had a a dawn of that, didn't we, in the practice sessions in Miami and Spain? where we thought, right, Mercedes is here, right, quick practice pace, and then they fell off in the qualifying, and then both Monaco and Baku, they've been kind of just just not there, really. Um, they're bigging up Silverstone, big upgrade coming, supposedly, and you'd think, is that a marketing ploy? Is that a genuine thing? Two British drivers in a team based, a German team, based in Brackley in the UK, which is not far from Silverstone. Is that just a thing to get their fans excited or is it a genuine upgrade, or not genuine upgrade, a genuine step forward that we'll see at that race where we can go right, where we can proclaim, right, Mercedes is back. Not that they're going to fight for the title, but Mercedes, second half of the season, are going to be consistently contending for race wins. It'll be interesting to see how much that fruit bears labour, but it's still a tricky time for Mercedes. I can't believe eight races in. What did I say again? It's it's not quite as it's not quite as bad as Tom's uh, Ferrari bulletproof claim, but me saying that. Okay, oh, if, anyone, if, if any if any if anyone can make, <laughs> if, if anyone can make it up, Mercedes can. They'll they'll pull it back. Um, still haven't uh, still haven't backed me up on that, but there's still time. <laughs> Angus, how many points did you say that Alpine wouldn't get this season? Um, thirty. But, I mean, that's, 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 they, that's, they are on forty-seven we're, now. We're talking about Mercedes here. So yes. uh, I know. Let's, let's move on. Oh, yeah, right. That's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a shame when you see the Mercedes pogoing down the main straight. You look at and their heads just. I I'm surprised that Hamilton can actually finish the race. I mean, watching him. I want to say get out of the car, but it was it was the it was not really getting out it was more hauling his tired body out of the uh, the car it took him absolutely ages and and then everyone was like oh well he's gonna get penalized because he had to have some help but i don't think he will get penalized <laughs> technically speaking yeah. not even supposed to run over and um <laughs> hug the team um and things like that i saw some someone said um oh you know why <laughs> He can he can have help. What are they gonna do? Ram a ham sandwich down his throat before he gets on the way scales. That's like uh, um, so yeah. That's they say. Technically speaking, they're not supposed to touch anyone before they get onto the scales, so that the FIA can check them and be underweight. But I don't think they're gonna have any problems. There's too many cameras nowadays and things like that. Anyway, I digress. The Mercedes. Uh, it's such a shame that they're, they're kind of not back, but they kind of are. In a in a sense, Russell is performing some dark magic with that car. That I'm so pleased he hasn't lost from when he was at Williams because there was always that threat that he would be amazing at Williams, get that car into places it shouldn't be, and then get to Mercedes and then absolutely flop. But he hasn't. Mm. 
He's getting the Mercedes to places it shouldn't be now. Third place. Um, his race engineer called him Mr. Consistent, which is wonderful. He's turned from Mr. Saturday into Mr. Sunday, and now he's just, you know, Mr. Consistent, um, which, <laughs> I don't know. On the one hand, that sounds brilliant, but on the other hand, if someone was like, hey, I know you, you're, you're Captain Consistent, you'd be like, oh, brilliant. Um, but in this case, George, it's an excellent compliment and should be treated as such. But with 161 points, Mercedes has pulled nicely away from McLaren, which have found their way into fourth place um, and are, you know, encroaching on territory that we didn't think that they would, you know, they would they, they would make. Ferrari is only one D- double DNF or a couple of DNFs away from Mercedes pouncing because look as much as you might say that the Mercedes car is rubbish at least it's been reliably rubbish it's better to have a mm. car that finishes than one that doesn't at all and that's what we've always said in Formula One you know there is always the cases that someone does better than someone else not because they are necessarily always faster but because they're faster on average and that just means finishing a race I think Mercedes could well, you know, go over the finish line in front of Ferrari if Ferrari does their usual thing and unfortunately bottle it and bottle it completely. The whole of Italy, I don't think, would let, would forgive them if they failed to, um, well, if they failed to match or, or fight Red Bull this year. It's, it's mm. such a shame. But the porpoising one's so difficult because I can't actually repeat what Toto Wolff said about the car when um, he finished. He said it was a poo box. I think is what I can say. So, um, yeah. You can use the rest of your imagination, we actually said. Which is a shame because Russell, yet again, Russell like finishes brilliantly and then Toto Wolff goes, oh, Hamilton, I'm sorry, it was so terrible. Just completely you know, ignoring the <laughs> fact that your other driver is putting your car in places it shouldn't be, Toto. You know, respect him. You know, it, uh, it's such a shame because he's, I think George is getting a little bit overlooked. And it's not just, as you said, Ang, it's not just Mercedes saying that they need to sort out the porpoising. Um, Carlos Sainz has also said that he wants the FIA to act as soon as possible. But the argument against it is, look, it's Mercedes deciding to go down a route that compromises um, the health of their driver as opposed to, you know, speed. And that's a very difficult one for the FIA to to now look into because if they then say, okay, fine, you're all allowed active suspension, you can then find a nice, clever technological way to prevent the porpoising, then other teams like McLaren, like Haas, like Red Bull, it's going to say, well, hold on a minute. It's not our fault that they prefer to damage their seven-time world champion spine than accept that they're actually an eighth or ninth place car. And to some extent, I agree. So I think what's going to happen, if I'm brutally honest, the FIA is actually going to say that they're going to have maybe like a, a minimum oscillation level of the car at maximum speed so that you don't have like this, you know, compound, you know, sort of damage to the the spine as it hits the ground one of the statistics said six g's of impact when they're they're hitting the ground there because it's so violent now so i think they're gonna have to legislate against it but there's no there's no you know there's no denying it mercedes does have a quick car underneath all that um if it, it was um it was said actually this week that a lot that ferrari um also explored the idea of a of a um sort of a no side pod design but found that they just couldn't make it work so maybe mercedes has got the right idea but unfortunately it's one of those problems that is just not a they're not able to solve in real life it's a great car on paper but it's just not gonna do them any good and i think that'll put them on the back foot a bit but you know kudos to george russell he is making that car pogo to podiums <laughs> I think there really is a strong case for George Russell to be the driver of the season so far because mm. the fact that he's fourth in the drivers' championship is just insane, isn't it? Would you think that he's got that Mercedes into P4 ahead of that Ferrari car? No disrespect to Carlos Sainz, is quite remarkable, really. Another third place. Of course, there were issues there that resulted in having that sort of handed to him in many ways, but he really is surpassing all expectations, even from us, and we've waxed lyrical over him for so long now. 
I mean, going on to the porpoising one, it's such a weird one, isn't it, really? Because you hear Howelson going, oh, you know, my back's in serious pain. You think, oh, that doesn't sound too good. Then you see him hobble out of the car or heave himself out of the car. Then you hear rumours of Nick DeVries being ready on standby to take his place. Just say those rumours, as of recording now, are false. And that Hamilton says he will race in a very bumpy Montreal track in Canada. And you're seeing, aren't you, 19 racers saying they want change aside from Fernando Alonso and him saying, you know, oh, I don't mind a bit of bouncing, you know, just essentially man up about it, really. It seems to be the big controversy, doesn't it, that's brewing up nicely, unfortunately, really, when it comes to this season. Last season, it was the flexi wing, it was Hamilton versus Verstappen, it was that battle. And now you've got something about, well, should we introduce something for driver's safety, or should we do do that and go, okay, fine, you know, drivers are safe, brilliant. But um, then essentially pin back the teams that have defeated porpoising or porpoising not being a huge issue. Because we've seen that porpoising is not only inevitable, but it doesn't always mean that you're slow. Because Ferrari have also had issues with porpoising. And we see on Saturday, almost every week, their top, second or third in the drivers uh, standing on the grid in that regard. So... It is possible to defeat it. If anyone's going to defeat it, it should be Mercedes, really, because look how well they've done over the last few years in terms of designing cars and keeping honest and competitive with other cars that, when it came to practice, when it came to qualifying, when it came to testing, were far superior. But, yet again, Mercedes sort of clawed them back. Going back to the point of can Mercedes be Ferrari, I think they can, because if you look at the very, very solid base they've got here, you look at the fact they always finish and always, you know, give or take, should I say, in third or fourth, and as you say, Ferrari being very inconsistent, there's going to be a time where it does click in a better fashion for Mercedes. They're not going to be, I don't think, going for many race wins, but you've got the summer break coming up, a, a big period there for them to defeat the pulpiting issue and for them to have some really solid races there going to the end from uh, Spa all the way to Abu Dhabi. And it's not been a bad season in terms of points, but of course, the standard which we hold for uh, Mercedes too is always so high. So when they're down in third and when they're only getting third place, we go, oh, it's ridiculous. And Toto Wolff says similar as well because he's been so used to winning everything. So I think they could do it, but it all depends on, A, of course, can Ferrari solve their reliability issues, which looked distant, if not non-existent, really, at the start of the race? And can Mercedes really, you know, do what they've always done for many years' time. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. Porpoising, I think there's going to be something coming in around, if I was going to be fair, the, the summer break time. I think that's the fairest time to go and put something in, in terms of making sure that drivers are safe and they're not hampered too much, that being the teams that have not had to deal with porpoising or don't see it as a big issue. Because to, do, to bring it in, let's say, Austria, France, Hungary, you know, in the, in the middle of the season, really, when there's no breaks and there's not enough time to go and test it out properly, is somewhat unfair I'd argue to teams like Red Bull who haven't designed their car in such a fashion really I'd hate to be the ones making that decision about how you do it but I think the summer break would be the best time best time to do that really but I think it's quite clear that come the end of this season and the start of the next one we will see some sort of standardisation from the FIA but I think it's a bit premature really for Mercedes to go Please, FIA, help us. We've designed a car in such a fashion where porpoising exists and others haven't, but help us nonetheless, because that's it's not really fair in terms of sporting integrity and competition, I would argue anyway. But of course, driver safety, immensely important, so hope that gets solved. Do you want to hear that George Russell stat I mentioned earlier? Yes, tell us the mm. George Russell stat. I've been waiting to hear this. <laughs> yes, yes. So It's taken 53 if- minutes. <laughs> So if he finishes ahead of Hamilton in Canada, he'll have finished ahead of Hamilton for eight races in a row, and no one has ever Mm -hmm. done that in Hamilton's Formula 1 career as a teammate. Not even Nico Rosberg. Nico Rosberg did it in seven in a row. Ah, he's so angry. Even Kovalainen. (laughs) Yeah, Heike Kovalainen, yeah, definitely, mate, yeah. But yeah, Rosberg won. Sorry, Kovalainen. It was back at the end of, like, 2015-16, I think, when Rosberg won... Like seven races in a row. Well, it clearly would have been seven. He won seven races in a row across the end of one season, the start of the next one. Yeah, uh, and that was the seven. And George has equaled that. Do you think this is? 
Hamilton's wake-up moment, do you think, for, for his future? I was wondering this the other day when he, when he was getting out the car and he was in the interviews. He's changing. So is Sebastian Vettel, actually. Both of them, they are talking less and less about themselves and they're bringing up new points about climate change, equal rights and so on. And that's been quite controversial within the paddock at the moment um, with the FIA, the president of the FIA being very negative against their outspokenness, which I think is an absolute shame. And I salute Vettel and Hamilton for, for bringing up these points over and over again. Do you think they are now positioning themselves? And I think they are in the same boat here, actually. Positioning themselves to sort of exit out the sport. Do you think this will push Hamilton a bit more out of the sport than perhaps we were expecting? I know he's, he's he is contracted still, but... With, a, with new rules and regulations, with George Russell, Angus, achieving those things that no one has done before. Do you think this is a wake-up call for Hamilton to realise that actually, for the first time, he's a bit outmoded? If Dare dare I say that? I mean, all the Hamilton fans <laughs> are going to go, No! How dare you! It's so easy in this world, and people love to say, "Oh, this person's finished." People love to finish a sports star. They love, they 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 love to say, "Oh, he's done, mate. He's done." Um, he's, <laughs> if you know what, it's almost, it's almost like a, ster- a series of events. Like I feel like last year took so much out of him, and the fact that he needed what, like a month and a half at the end of the season, he just went awol because um, it was so intense and. Mm. Like, I wouldn't surprise if that took it. That was one of the most intense title battles in Formula One history. I'm not, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that took a lot out of him. And then coming into this season with high hopes, and uh, talking, we've been talking a lot in this episode about comments that haven't aged well. Um, one comment that hasn't mm. aged well from Lewis Hamilton was in pre-season when he said, "My team don't make mistakes." Um, yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> that's uh, it. Was a very bold comment which you have to back it back up. Uh, it's one of those where you really do have to back it up. And a combination of those things. And you know what? We forget, he's 37 years old. People are... Formula yep. 1 drivers, sports people, aren't supposed to be as good as he is at 37. It's not like the norm, so to speak. Mm. So, it wouldn't be surprised if he has a slight dip. I mean, Sebastian Vettel's had a slight dip. Fernando Alonso is still operating at a very high level, but he's not what he once was. So, and Hamilton's now up against a young, hungry set of drivers at the front mm. of the grid, except for Perez, is a little bit older, but he still is less experienced than Hamilton. There's a set of young, hungry drivers who are a lot younger than Hamilton, and they are fighting for a lot for the first time in their careers. And could it just be that the sport's moving on from him? Again, I'm, I'm finishing him here. I'm just saying he's finished, really. But <laughs> is the sport moving on from him? But at the same time, if one person can come back and prove the doubters wrong, it would be Hamilton. He's still got a year left on that Mercedes contract after this year. Whether he calls it a day after 2023, that's a, um, a possibility for sure. It's completely plausible. But there's still 2023 for him to make a difference and to try and fight back. So if anyone can, Lewis can. But it's, <laughs> um, yeah, time is not moving on. He said, he, said he said to start to start to a season that would suggest that the sport is moving on from him, possibly. Yeah, and with his contract running out in 23, as you say there, his age, the fact that he's just not really enjoying forming role at the moment by the sound of things, not only with the porpoising issue, which is causing him actual pain, but also he just not seems to be enjoying racing. And of course, that's largely due to the car, but he's got so many other interests. He's made that perfectly clear, aside from Formula One. He doesn't sort of live, breathe and die Formula One, and that's it. He doesn't sort of go to sleep and just think about it all the, all the time. He's involved with fashion. He's involved with human rights and equal rights movements. There's so many going on in the world of Lewis Hamilton. And for that reason, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's going to call it a day in 23. 
Well, it seems that's all we have time for in terms of episode 16 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or live or via the Listen Back feature on River Radio. A reminder in terms of social media, you can follow the F1 in Review count there. That's all one word, F1 in Review. And you can follow myself and Tristan individually on there as well if you want to. So the next Grand Prix round nine is in Canada. That's starting on the Friday and qualifying on the Saturday starts at 9pm and the race starts at 7pm on the Sunday so when we return we'll be dissecting what happens there in Montreal on a once again a very bumpy circuit for the drivers to check notes enjoy and we'll discuss all the topics from that race and what comes as well in terms of news of Formula 1 and beyond until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next episode